start in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. The title of my sermon is Picture Perfect. It's a discussion on the topic of baptism. Uh, my wife and I have had the privilege of raising uh, three uh, daughters that we think happen to be the most beautiful girls on the planet. Becca, Erica, and Jessica. Our daughters love to play charades. They love to... Uh, do dress-ups. Have a, a box in the basement that's full of old, odd, assorted, weird stuff that you wouldn't wear normally, but that they love to wear. I mean, it got so bad that we would stop at thrift stores on our way home from my parents' house in Harleysville, Pennsylvania, at the thrift shop, Salvation Army thrift shop in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, and we would load up with some variety, okay? Uh, the most gaudy shoes, the most obnoxious jewelry, just crazy stuff. I want to show you a picture real quick, okay, of some of that. I think we have this here. You should recognize three of those. One is a cousin, okay? Let me take you to one more photo. All right. That's our oldest daughter on her wedding day. I could show you a picture of my daughter on her wedding day, my oldest daughter, Rebecca. Uh, here's what I want to say to you. That is fun, right? But it's pretending. Okay? It was charades. It was not real life. It was imitating. It was hilarious at times, and it was a lot of fun. We have a lot of good memories from those times. I, since we didn't have boys, I don't know what boys dress up like, so those are the pictures. I want to be clear this morning that when we come to the directives of Scripture concerning how we as the body of Christ function and operate, uh, that we are not playing games. The directives that Christ has given to, church, to the church family, namely communion and baptism, are not charades. They're not an act. They are not meant to provoke in our minds sentimentalism. They're not meant to warm your heart. They speak of what is central to all that we do as Christians. And every time we do them, we proclaim the sobering and central truth that drives our sacrifice, our serving, our giving, and all of our devotion to Christ. They proclaim the amazing love and grace of God that chases us down, invades our lives, rescues, and transforms broken people. It is, for us, dead serious. It is a matter of life and death. It is vital to what we do. They speak about eternity, life, death, and hope for freedom, change, and transformation. They tell us why we exist and why the grace of God is so amazing. And so life-altering. I want to read Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I believe it's at the top of your list. This is the final declaration of Christ post-resurrection, post-cross, post-redeeming work. And here's what He says. It is unmistakably clear. Therefore, in light of the fact that He has been given authority, all authority in heaven and on earth, He says to us, 
Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. This great commission of Christ, this marching orders for the church, is the concise central directive given by Christ to His disciples, the early church. It describes in very concise terms the church's priorities. The thing that we always talk about at a leadership level is that we are not here to create the purpose of the church, but to discover it on the pages of Scripture. These are the marching orders that Christ gives the church. These are the things that He wants us to do and value for very specific and clear and strong reasons. They are discovered on the pages of Scripture, and as we discover what He wants from us, the response of a true believer is, Lord, I am Yours. My desire is to obey You and to follow You and to do Your will and to do Your bidding. Today, we're going to focus on the topic of baptism. What I'm going to do is make, from the passages in front of you, I'm going to make four observations about the topic of baptism. So here's the first observation I will make. Baptism is an act of obedience. A very simple, I believe, early act of obedience in the life of a believer. It is an act of obedience because it is, in fact, commanded by Christ. And so Matthew 28, I believe it's in verse 19, he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and then teach them. The central command in this text, and probably some of you probably know this, the central command of Christ is, Go. Okay, that's the command that drives. And the question that you begin to ask is, he doesn't simply say, hey everyone, go. He says, go, and while you're going, here are the two things that I want you to do. As you make disciples, that's the central command, go and make disciples. The question you should ask automatically is, how is that to be done? And the text gives you two ways. Okay, it says, baptize them and teach them. I love the simplicity of the teaching of Jesus. What we are to do is to go into our world gospel proclaiming and as people come to faith in Jesus, we are to baptize them and teach them. Baptize them and teach them. Okay, so first of all, it's commanded by Christ. How important is it? That's a question that emerges. We call baptism and communion ordinances of the church. Now, ordinances is not a word that we use very often, but if you've ever been pulled over by a police officer or ever been in violation of town ordinances, you know what I'm talking about. An ordinance is law, and it is put into effect by code enforcement officers. Okay, so there in the Bible, there are ordinances. They are directives for the church. They're not suggestions. There are things that we as believers are called to do on a regular and habitual basis. Okay, they are his marching orders for the church. Now, the directive in context is one, and that is to baptize and then to teach. Okay, so what does baptize mean? Okay, I'm just going to just keep this very simple. Baptize historically, and there's no debate over the definition of the word, simply means to dip, to plunge, or to immerse. It was typically used to describe what you would do with a piece of 
uh, neutral colored cloth that you wanted to turn into a certain color. You would take that cloth and you would baptize it. That would be the Greek picture. You would put it into a colored substance and it would come out bearing similarity. Okay, so that's the, the idea of the word is to dip or to immerse. Okay, in, in a very, just as, as, as well as I can put it, simple. The result is a change in the object that has been plunged. Okay, so that's the idea of the word. The other thing I want you to notice that what we are told to do in this text is to be done for how long? Look at the text real quick. How long is this command to be obeyed? What's the duration of it? The end of the age, okay? The end of the age that Jesus brings the church into, the end of that age is his return that we sung about and that Carmelo talked about this morning. We wait the long-expected king. And until then, we are to go make disciples by baptizing and teaching. Baptizing and teaching. Very simple. Okay, so the, the first thought is that gospel sharing... Baptism and teaching are of equal importance. Okay? So hopefully you've come here to church this morning to hear the Word of God. And hopefully at some point in your relationship with the body of Christ, you will respond to the message of the Gospel. And after that, there's something that God wants you to do. He wants you to publicly identify in the waters of baptism with the body of Christ and then to be a learner of His Word, a changed person. All right, so that's the first thought. It is an act of obedience given to us by Christ. It is important because it is derived from the words of Christ, not tradition, not church practice, but from the words of Jesus to His church. Secondly, baptism announces great blessing. Now, as I studied through this text, I, I, when I kind of got the, the topic of baptism as the sermon I would be preaching from Doug, I thought, oh gosh, I'm just going to be talking about stuff I'm very familiar with. One of the things I love is as you get into Scripture, you begin to unpack it and study and read, you find there are a whole lot of things you don't know. And as I've gone through this, here, I'm going to tell you, this is the part that jumped out to me most substantially and significantly. It was actually prompted by reading another article on the topic of baptism but it derives clearly from the text. You notice that the baptizing is to be done in the name of Father, Son, Spirit. It is a Trinitarian work that in some way binds me to God in a Trinitarian fashion. The Spirit applies the work of Christ that the Father sent Christ to do. And so we are baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. What does that mean? I think it is this. Second on your list. Baptism announces great blessing. That in the waters of baptism, the symbol is speaking the truth that is already real for the believer. I have become a child of God. I have brought in, been brought into an intimate relationship with God Himself. I have invited, been invited into what Tim Keller calls the dance within the Godhead, the interaction that Jesus in John 17 points to and says, Father, I want them, your children, to enjoy what I enjoy with you. We are brought into the community of the Godhead, which I, I can't explain for you. I can only say it, it, it is just a glorious, incredible blessing 
that comes to the people of God. I think it's tied in some way to the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus, by the directive of His Father, is baptized, the Spirit of God descends. So the Trinity is present. The work of God is seen explicitly in a three-part fashion in the baptism of Christ. And what's the utterance from heaven? This is my... It's in Mark 1, next verse down. Or next down on your sheet. This is my beloved Son. In Him I am well pleased. The text that rings out of my mind is Zephaniah. When the Bible says that God sings over you. He pronounces over His children a distinct, unique blessing of relationship. I want you to think about that this morning. If you've trusted Christ, God has brought you into, into relationship with Himself. You are not an alien. You're not a foreigner. You have become a son or daughter of God. And, and, and the Spirit of God, Romans 4 says, I think I got that, or Galatians 4 says, the Spirit of God cries in our heart, you are God's child. And baptism makes kind of clear that, that union with God that we experience as a result of His saving work that is then declared in the context of baptism. Because as it is done, we say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit that God is for you. That God, as a result of your faith in Him, is at work in your life. He is committed to you like a parent is committed to their child. He is devoted. And He loves deeply and powerfully. I am accepted in Christ. And in that union, I become aware of two things. As you move closer to God, you always become aware of two things you will become aware of the fact that you are more sinful than you ever dared believe. You find that? You start to draw near to God, you see more and more of what He wants, you come think, I am such a mess. But I also realize that I am more loved than I ever dared believe. In baptism, what am I saying? I needed the death burial, and resurrection of Christ to cleanse me from my sin and to change me. I desperately needed that. And by grace alone, through faith alone, that is my price. It's not earned. It's a gift that God gives. And it is to be treasured. So baptism announces a great blessing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. I am brought into something I do not deserve. And the more I move into it, the more I feel a level of discomfort and comfort. Because I begin to realize how really sinful I am and how really glorious Jesus Christ is. Okay, so don't miss the blessing that is announced that you are God's. You were brought into His family. Acts 2.41 on your sheet talks about those that were baptized were added to the church. They came into the new family of God that He was working out. And that is the incredible blessing of baptism. For the Ethiopian eunuch, if you go down to the bottom, the Ethiopian eunuch is an outsider. He's reading Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. The clearest depiction of the cross in the Old Testament. He's reading it. Peter comes alongside by the directive of God. What are you reading? He goes, oh, it's kind of amazing, but I don't get it. Like it's not personal, it's 
stunning and beautiful and and in one sense horrifying, but also attractive, like I, I don't want to let it go. And Peter gets in the chariot with him and he describes to this man of another ethnic origin the good news that had come to Jerusalem. The man comes to faith in Christ and he sees water. And what does he say to Peter? What keeps me from being baptized? Assumption in the text, the man by hearing the good news of Christ and having it explained by, by uh, Philip, I'm sorry, is that he, he has come to faith in Christ and understands that he wants to enjoy the blessing of baptism which demonstrates his union with Christ for all that are in his entourage. What a beautiful story. It announces for that Ethiopian outsider union with Christ as an insider. The one who is lesser becomes greater as he sees his sin and the Savior. And he declares that in the waters of baptism. I think it's just an amazing, stunning, and beautiful uh, statement. You know, I, I, when we do baptisms, we, we kind of respond. We smile and we applaud when someone's baptized because we are celebrating with them what it means to be cleansed by the blood of Christ and what it means to be brought into the family of God. And so we, we join with those that are baptized. And we've never taught people to do that. It just happens. Because it's announcing a blessing and we are delighted as they come up out of the waters of baptism and begin to understand a little bit better the fullness of what it is to be bound together with Christ and with the Father and with the Spirit. May God help us to understand that blessing more deeply as we think about baptism. Third, that emerges from the text is that baptism is for believers. If you were to read through the book of Acts, you would uh, find a very consistent pattern in wording. Okay, and the pattern is this. They heard the word. There was repentance and faith. They believed, is how it's described, and they were baptized. Happens repeatedly. Look in your sheet here, third one down, I think, on your sheet. Acts 2.41. It says, after Peter got done preaching and, and, and a large group of people responded, it says, those who accepted the message, that is a way to describe believing. They were baptized, about 3,000, and they were added to their number that day. They got a new identity the day they believed in Christ. And they expressed that new identity as a child of God in the waters of baptism, which pictures their union with Christ and His cross work. So that's Acts 2.41. Look at 8.35. Philip began with that very uh, passage of Scripture to tell him the good news of Jesus. As they traveled along, they saw some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why? Or what, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? So there's this sense in which there's belief. And, and for the Ethiopian eunuch, there was an understanding. I have become a new person, and I want to declare that in the waters of baptism. I'll give you a couple observations. It is for believers, but here's, here's the kind of the counterside. Baptism does not make you a believer. It says that you are a believer. That's simple but important truth. Okay? Going into the waters of baptism as a work will not change you. The grace of God changes you by faith and repentance. It also tells us the proximity of baptism to salvation. Okay, as you read through the book of Acts, here's what you'll find. They believe and are baptized. There is a, 
a proximity in the experience. It doesn't mean that it never happens that there's delight. There is often for people. Sometimes people have a block on it. They're trying to get an understanding of it. They're trying to understand the truth of it. Sometimes people are just saying no. To that person, I would say, look at the text. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Look at what God says. I believe you'll find that there is a clear directive in this direction that doesn't save, but that tells of saving in our lives. It also tells you something else. It tells you that the individual being baptized is old enough to believe. Okay? The thing you won't find in the New Testament is a record of an infant baptism. Now, that may be shocking to some of you. Okay? I was baptized as an infant. My mom is a very sensitive person in terms of law-keeping, rule-keeping. was before she became a Christian. And probably the fact that she had three boys born within a 27-month period caused her to cry out to God. <laughs> I suspect after the third birth, and by the, which was me, so I guess that, that answers a lot of questions. <laughs> okay? She got us baptized, not because we went to church. We didn't. Because she felt like she needed to do something. That's a religious perspective. It's not a life-changing perspective. So... After I trusted Christ, when I was a little bit older, I then participated in the waters of baptism as a declaration, as a statement about the cross work of Christ from, on my behalf for my sin to save and change my life. That's what baptism's about. It is for those who have come to trust in Christ. And lastly, it is this, and this is for me one of the very beautiful uh, aspects of baptism. I, hopefully, if you've held off on getting baptized, Maybe it's a command doesn't change your heart. It should if you realize it's from Christ. It's an ordinance. It's, it's, it's part of what we do as Christians. But the last thing I want to say to you this morning is baptism is proclaiming. It is speaking. Baptism is preaching. It is declaring. It is making known something absolutely glorious that a watching world needs to see. Romans 6, verses 3 to 4. Can I read these with you? The text says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? There's a mix in this text of the spiritual baptism by the Spirit and of the physical baptism of water. But what you see is a perfect picture, which is the title of my sermon this morning, a little creative, right? right it's a perfect picture. That in baptism, I am buried in a water grave. And I am pictured coming out as a new person. The water itself does not affect the change. It is my union with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that changes me. And that is what is perfectly pictured in the waters of baptism. It's a declaration. It's a proclamation. It, it is a, a loaded symbol that is heavy and precious for those who believe. The message it declares is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that leads to the salvation that comes by faith and repentance. So as I see my sin and I am enthralled to trust Christ, I repent of my sin and I move by grace through faith and the power of God into a new relationship where I am changed. And so the water grave picture is that I go into the water and I leave the old self behind. 
and I emerge a new person because that's what happens through the saving work and grace of God. In going into the water, I proclaim that my old man has died in Christ. In rising out of the water, I declare that I am a new creation in Christ, ready to live a new life in Christ. So the text says, verse 4, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, and you start to see Trinity again, we too may live a new life. Baptism makes a declaration that the old Tim Hoff is gone and a new person with hope for change and victory is emerging. That's what baptism says. And it beautifully and perfectly pictures our union with Christ, which is what Romans 6 is all about. You know, 33 years ago, I uh, made commitments to a beautiful young lady who is teaching junior church right now. And on that day, um, we shared this. We shared a wedding ring, which is a symbol. Putting this onto my hand does not make me married. I thought of this lady as we were singing. I thought being in a Christian home with the hope of change does not make you a Christian. Growing up and being born into a Christian home does not make you a Christian. This symbol does not make me married, but it is a loaded symbol. The vows and covenants that are spoken in the context of a marriage ceremony are the reality. The ring is picture. This, however, is not a charade. This is not dressing up. Okay, this aims to communicate something powerful and, God willing, life-changing. This symbol says, I am committed to someone. The only time I don't wear this, over the last few months I haven't, because I've been doing some physical labor and it actually causes a danger. Now, I can lose this ring. This is the third one. I lost the first one in two weeks. I got back from our honeymoon, went water skiing, and my precious went flying off. When the ring was lost, the relationship was not. Because this is a symbol of the reality that is formed by a covenant, trusting relationship between a man and a woman. When people are baptized at the chapel, we ask them to share their testimony. We ask them to share their story of how they came to faith in Christ. Mine's pretty short. Mine is not flashy. It's not even interesting. But it is amazing. It is amazing. Because God saved me at a young age. That was reconfirmed for me when I was 21 years old. When I knew that I was rebelling against the Lord of my life. And going my own way, resisting His call to ministry. 
And I was no different, ladies, than you. Because all I was doing was saying no to God. And that never goes well. In my baptism, I made a proclamation that Christ is Lord of my life. And there were times I didn't live that. And the reason we should go back and talk about baptism is because we need to remember why we were baptized, that it goes to a previous event of change that set us free to live in newness of life in Christ. You see, the aim of all this, Paul says in the last part of verse 4 in Romans 6, he says, he did this so that we too may live in newness of life, so that the old is gone and the new has come. That's why so that we would be fundamentally different. This morning in the Sunday school class, I was talking with the kids about the demoniac of the Gadarenes, the man who was delivered by Christ from demonic possession. It's a great story. After he is changed, he wants to go with Jesus. Jesus says, don't go with me. Go home and tell everyone what great things God has done for you. One of the early powerful proclamations of a changed life in the life of a believer is that is baptism it's when i share the story of how god finally broke through the hardness of my heart and brought me to saving faith and repentance in jesus that's what's proclaimed and it is it is glorious it is it is powerful the actions ordained by christ for the church and the symbols that they entail are loaded with amazing truth and aim to proclaim it and to tell it till the end of the age it is the message that we proclaim in baptism that is life-changing does this sound familiar think with me of the lord's table when we partake of the lord's table we eat of that bread and drink of that cup and here's what jesus said he said every time you do that you're not doing ritual it's not pure symbolism alone. It's heavy, loaded truth. Every time you do this, you proclaim, you preach the Lord's death until He comes. The same thing is true in the waters of baptism. It is a message. It is preaching often better than what you hear on Sunday morning. It is a, a statement about the glorious grace of God in a perfect picture that amazes and changes Churches often, as you baptize, you proclaim hope for forgiveness, for life change, for rescue, and transformation. And both of these commands are dorative, that is, they endure, and they are proclaiming by design and by nature. Rightly understood, baptism does not aim to warm your heart by a ceremony, because it's not a charade, and it's not dressing up. It aims to transform your heart by proclaiming Christ's cross work to you and for you, for your benefit, and for your transformation. That is the work that God desires to do. So I close with two very simple questions this morning. In light of that truth, have you trusted Christ? Has God brought you to a place in your life where you have sensed the drawing of His Spirit and by faith said, God, I am a sinner. Forgive me. I turn from my old way of life. I want you to change me. And then the second entailment of this text, I think, is very clear. Have you followed the Lord in obedience in the waters of baptism? And if you haven't, I, I invite you this morning, look at the verses I gave you. Okay, I wanted you to have them in your hand. I pray that you'll just look at it and you'll say, God, it, it, 
it's clear. And I want to take that step of obedience. There's a sheet out in the foyer that you can sign up on. And we would love to celebrate with you the blessings announced in the waters of baptism. And if you've never trusted Christ, I would encourage you this morning, just cry out to Jesus. Cry out to God. Come long-expected Christ into my heart. Save me. Change me. Carmel, some of the songs are absolutely gorgeous that we sung this morning. Loaded with truth. Loaded with truth that will change your life. Last thing I ask you is this. Am I celebrating what is announced in my baptism, in my daily life? Does that joy capture, enthrall, stun, amazed? When I realize that I am more sinful than I ever imagined. But in Christ, more loved than I could ever dare believe. Trust Him. Father, Your Word this morning is glorious. It is beautiful, the steps of obedience that You have for us daily and in our Christian walk are truly powerful and life-changing. Lord, for those here this morning that have trusted You but have not yet declared that in the waters of baptism, I pray that You will help them to take the next step of simple obedience in following Jesus. Just help them, Lord, I pray. I pray that very soon in this church we would be experiencing another beautiful baptism service celebrating life change and announcing there is hope in Christ for all who believe. In this season, Lord, before us, let us be seekers. Let us be people that speak the truth, that announce the truth, that proclaim the message that baptism is meant to clarify perfectly for us. Lord, we love you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.